Welcome to Conversations with Claire. I'm your host, Claire Bates. I'm a movement, nutrition, and mindset coach through my app, Wellness with Claire. Podcast host, coach at The Collective in Austin, Texas, sober alcoholic, brand builder, and competitive hybrid athlete. I've created this podcast to share inspiring stories and have meaningful conversations in hopes that we can create community together to learn and grow. Oh, and I hope to make you laugh. <laughs> Welcome to Conversations with Claire. Let's talk about coaching and how to get from where you are now to where you want to be. Wellness with Claire is my very own coaching platform where I offer personalized meal plans, personalized workout plans based on your goals, accountability through community and weekly group coaching calls, mindset coaching and tracking features for results. I also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching, which gives you full app access, direct access to me via WhatsApp and 100% accountability with me, including weekly video calls. Wellness is a mental, physical and spiritual experience. The system works together as a whole, and I'm here to help you live in alignment with your principles and values and actualize a quality of life beyond your current dreams. Check the show notes or the links in bios on socials to find more information about how to get involved with Wellness with Claire today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Claire. Today, I have a guest that I'm stoked to share with you guys and learn more about personally. We met, what do you think, maybe two months ago? Mm -hmm. Something like that? Actually, no, less than that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just in person at The Collective, where I'm a trainer and you're a member at the Social Performance Club here in Austin, Texas. <laughs> Hashtag ad. Hashtag ad. <laughs> subtle. Subtle. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out, Jeremy. You're welcome. <laughs> anyway, who I have with me is Justin Rosvani. He is a first-generation American entrepreneur. He is a triathlete. He was on the 2017 Forbes 30 Under 30 list. He was the founder of the Amplify, which sold in 2016, lives in Austin, Texas, and his latest project is Zion. Zion is an open global decentralized community platform that facilitates transparent and direct flow of content and payments between creators and their audiences. Zion is built using the Bitcoin lightning network for creative people to pursue what they love and share their passion with the world. That's what you're up to. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for saying yes. I like to intro with the yes. Thank you for saying yes. So like I said, we met here. I would say within the last two months and yeah. we have a mutual friend, Eric, Eric yes. Leha, shouts out. Shout out to Eric. Yeah. And so he introduced us just like getting to understand a little bit more, which we're going to dive into more of that later of what you do. And I think the thing I have to touch on, I always love to draw like the people back to like where we met. And in this short time of knowing one another, you have been so receptive, so supportive. You immediately jumped into like a part of like doing the training with us that we were doing and like trying something new and hard immediately. And then, and that was so cool. And you've been like keeping doing that. And then also maybe a week or two later, or a few weeks later, I'm not sure you met my parents mm. and my parents were coming to visit. They were just touring the facility and you gave them so much of your time. Like that was the thing that really stood out to me was you'd already been so kind to say yes, to come on the, the podcast. So thank you for that. But then to like meet my parents and like stand and interact with them for, I don't know, 15 minutes. Like that was just, your time's valuable. And so like that really stood out to me and I appreciate you doing that. Of course. So, okay. So we are just going to take her on back and just kind of get some context. I said that you were the first generation American entrepreneur, but like, where do you come from? <laughs> yeah, I was born in LA. My parents were born in Iran. So a Syrian mom and a Persian dad. So I grew up in a very kind of like Middle Eastern family. There's a lot of like love in the household at all times, but also there was like a lot of strictness and how I should show up and what I should do. And it was a kind of grew up in like a middle class household, kind of simple life, like nothing extravagant ever mm -hmm. was kind of happening for me when I was growing up. But I knew at a very like early age, I wanted to live an extraordinary life. So you grew up in LA, you were yeah. born in LA, grew born up in LA. LA. Yeah. 
When did they move to LA? So my mom moved to New York when she was 13 and okay. my dad when he was 18. Okay. Um, so they met in New York City All and right. then moved to California before they decided to have a child, which happens to be. Okay. So you were their firstborn. I was firstborn. Yeah. Are you an only child? No, I have a little brother. Okay, cool. So you are born in LA. Yeah. How much younger is your brother? Five and a half years. Okay. So there's a bit of time in between the two. Yeah. Okay, so what was your childhood? And you say that you knew that you wanted to be, I mean, like, let's spend a little more time there. <laughs> it's very interesting because I went home about two weeks ago and my parents and I were talking about the Northridge earthquakes. I lived in Northridge in like 94. Northridge had this massive earthquake, like a 7.8. And my dad was like, I never told you this before, but your leadership was very young. When you were five years old during this earthquake, like you grabbed my hand and dragged me down the stairs saying, we have to go, we have to go. And I never told you that story. It was something remarkable in me because it just like really solidified the fact that like I've been a leader since I was a kid, like mm -hmm. five years old, trying to get my parents out of a house because there's an earthquake. Like that doesn't happen. Like that's not really a, like I didn't remember that time. I don't remember that exact experience when my dad recited it, it kind of like brought a memory back. And it's like, I've always known that I had one path. I had this one path of doing what I believe I should do in the world, looking at the future and just building it myself. That's kind of always been my prerogative. Okay. So were you someone that excelled in school? Would no. you say that you focused energy there? No, 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 no. That's the thing that's a bit of like a dichotomy of who is Justin was I pretty much flunked out of high school in the sense of like I had under a 2.0 GPA at like a 1.7 GPA in high school, which was very challenging for my parents and me because my mom would be like, you're never going to do anything if you're a failure in school. Like that was kind of the negative reinforcement, like not good enough. I had to go to community college because no university would accept me. I went to community college, got the basic grades to get into a university, then went to Cal Poly for my undergrad. And I was a very basic student, but I was extraordinary in doing things outside of the curriculum. And just to give you context, like I was like vice president of student body. I was very involved in my fraternity. I was the president of the marketing club. The Dean of my college, the College of Business in, at Cal Poly Pomona, basically a week before my graduation asked me, he said, look, we normally don't have people that have your grades speak at our college graduation. It's only the valedictorian and the one that has the second highest GPA. But I have a feeling like you're going to do something in the world. So would you like to be like the third speaker and like come out and present a gift to the whatever? And I was like, sure, happy to do that. And so that just, I think, shows the parallels of like education in some way failed me. Like mm -hmm. the system, I just wasn't a great student in that system, but I know how to build an extraordinary life that's outside of the educational system. And I still spoke at my graduation in front of 12,000 people. So there's a bit of that weird that's always happened in me. It's like, I don't follow the correct path, right. but I end up excelling in some way. And I think that's just my relentless focus in moving forward. That is so cool. I actually did read that you were, was it student of the year think, or it was yeah, something that, along that's those was, lines? That's, that's what it was. It was like, they gave me some award and said, look, you have to speak at the graduation. I'm like, great. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Cause I read that and was like valedictorian. You hear that, you know what that means, right? Like, okay. Yeah. They excelled in their classrooms. And their grades. And their yeah, grades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, great. They were like great students. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Which Got I hire those people that, yeah, yeah. That's how it works. That's great. But that is, I remember reading it and being like, yeah, so I don't know what the criteria is there, but yeah. like, okay, cool. <laughs> and I, I don't think it was me. I don't think I was the criteria. I think there was just something in them that said like, you know what, there's something about this kid that we have to do. And then they were right. Like, you know, seven years later, I'm at the Forbes list. So there was something indicated that they were right about something. And right. at the time, no one from the university had made the 30 under 30 list. So it was kind of a big deal for them. Well, yeah. Yeah. It is a little bit more obscure then. Okay. So we go back into you like going through high school, just going through school prior to college. And you talk about your family being this Middle Eastern with all of their, and I don't even think that's necessarily like, if we just look at generationally, like people, if you performed well in school, that was like indicative of like your ability to perform well in life at previous generations, right? Like yeah. now that narrative is super shifting. Yeah. But for your parents, like you mentioned super briefly, it was probably hard for them to try to wrap their brains around like, okay, we've got this kid that we know is like yeah. special. I'm sure they believed in you, but then had to fight that like, but on paper, this isn't working. Yeah. And I think that's the failure of the traditional educational system because right. you only have this rubric to follow and say, you will be successful if you do X. 
These are the parameters. We're not talking about how you show up. We're not talking about the way that you, you speak. We're not talking about, about the way that you think about ideas and problem solving. That doesn't exist in the traditional system. So like the only parameters they had at some time was like doctor, lawyer, failure, right? Like that's like the kind of the path when yeah. that definitely was never going to be the case. And I look at it now and the people that were the best grades from all of the schooling and all that, like I don't see them living extraordinary lives, right? Like, yeah. like and living things that are kind of above and beyond. So I was not great in the educational system, but I think I'm doing fine overall. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, I think I that's it. so cool. Yeah. With my upbringing, I certainly, I opted out of going to college. I had to take some college courses when I was still in high school because that was my high school's way of dealing with me because I wouldn't show up to class. Yeah. And so I attended fewer days. I, <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. I would never performed well within school, within that construct, just as far as like showing up, but I always managed to do fine on grades in a public school setting in Oklahoma. Yeah. And I remember having a conversation with my, one of the principals when I was asking for my attendance to be doctored and they were like, why don't you show up? And I said, I don't learn here. I'm not learning here. So I'm not coming. And I mean, wow, like the balls on a 16 year old to say that, but also, and he said, you're right. And it was just kind of like, this moment of I'm so young, I can't really wrap my brain around it. But of course, in hindsight, like, wow, that's the public education system. Like even that adult in that ecosystem knew like she's not wrong, you know. And so they chose to like, OK, well, if you'll just attend these concurrent classes, then like we'll just let you be whatever. And so that's what I did. And then I opted out of college from there just because, yeah, it was school was not going to be able to be sent to school and it paid for. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I didn't feel ever passionate about learning in that format. Then I went and opened a business when I was 18. So yeah, <laughs> I opted to do different things. So yeah. that's super relatable. It's interesting. Did you ever feel like there was anything within you that struggled with like not pleasing your parents with that? Or like, why am I not performing here? And how the, is that making other people feel? The narrative around not good enough happens every single day to me. And I think that's something that probably was instilled in her. But I've used it more as a motivation than a crutch. Yeah. Right. But like, I do struggle with this. Like, am I not performing well enough? Am I not good enough? I, I do think about that every single day. And that could have been instilled at an early age, but it's a performance enhancing drug for me. Yeah. Like you said, you're finding a way to use it. Not as a, when do you, can you pinpoint where your awareness with that? Like, no. when did you start to become aware? Like, oh, I am experiencing these feelings of not enough and that is motivating me to do more. And how do I feel about that? Like, that's such I mean, a... It, it's been from an early age. Yeah. Right? Like, the parameter is like, I will not receive love unless that I am successful. That's been a parameter of my ex entire existence that I've been unraveling in my adult age in a big way. Yeah. And I still feel, I feel constrictions around that. Yeah. Like if I am not successful, if I continue not to excel and be better... I will not receive love in my life. And that is a perceived thing that I have, which parts of me still believe, but I think it's factually incorrect. And it's also interesting because the outer world perceives you as successful and they've perceived you as successful for a while now. And so then you probably like, do you perceive yourself as successful? Not really. I think that I'm on a path to drive success, quote unquote, but... I'm not close to being there. I'm not necessarily fully happy with where I've I've gone because I know I have much more to do. Like I have much more to build in this extraordinary world because I, I want to help people. Like I want to affect, I want to be of service. I want to affect a billion people. Yeah. So I'm just at the beginning phases of what that potentially is. And I'm not even close to being finished. But what I hear is that you have some sort of definition of what it looks like. And I think that that's kind of the other part of it is like, your definition of success when you're in your early 20s, you know, looks very different from whenever you get into your later and then into your 30s and so on. Like your own perception of what success actually is for you has probably shifted tremendously. But Absolutely. it sounds like you have an idea there. Like it's not just I just don't feel successful. It's like, no, but this is what success looks like for me now. I'm headed that direction. Yeah. And most importantly, it's not a monetary instrument. It's not a financial instrument because once you get to a certain financial status, there isn't something that is going to be a bit more, right? Like, so yeah. you're always looking at the next thing. So you live in a house, there's always a bigger house. 
you fly on an airplane, there's first class, and then you're like, oh man, like I really wish I flew private everywhere. But after a certain point, there isn't any more that you can achieve on a monetary level that will drive your internal success. Mm -hmm. So now it's all about values and principles of like, what are the values I want to live my life by? What is the effect that I want to have on society? Those are the parameters that I'm thinking about. Like I'm playing 3D chess of like, how do I want to change the world and build a more effective communication network on how people can talk, not just like make a little bit more money. The game I'm playing right now is a little bit more worldly and it's around like a feeling that I want to bring to the world. And all knowing that at the end to be and somewhat forgotten when I leave. I love everything about it. All of that principle-driven behavior stuff for me only really started less than two years ago. So it's been a fascinating journey to step into that and then to try to figure that out and then to start to live by it and not saying that perfect adherence, because that's not real. I'm not that, but like really, truly diving in and being like, wait, what are my principles? Are we living by those? So when do you feel like you maybe pivoted towards that like, was that before you built out the Amplify? Was that like, definitely, like age-wise, you de know? Definitely after. I, I think the pivotal moment was when I had the situation with my brain and almost three years ago now. I think that was the pivotal time where I needed to shift a lot of ideas. That was when it began because it actually brought me a lot closer to death as a result of being closer to death and that relationship with death. Mm -hmm. It caused me to like think about, okay, what is my impact on a global perspective besides just being very selfish with money? Yeah. That's a great time to pivot then too. So you build out this, I mean, you graduate college, you then go to work, I think at Walt Disney, right? Yeah. Very short amount of time. I was an intern at the Walt Disney company. and That was like kind of my first job. Yeah. I learned a lot about big corporate and how money's made. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a slave. to this. Yeah. yeah that's, that's where I learned I didn't want to be a slave to the system. That's probably the beginning ethos of like, man, I could work my ass off here. Yeah. And at the end of the day, no matter what happens, like I get a finite paycheck from this. That's where I kind of really learned about like the power of equity because equity is a much higher multiple in terms of a back end of your success than getting an hourly rate, no matter what. Like even if you're paid at the highest level on an hourly wage, equity is still more valuable because equity can build over time and it makes you money. And that was the difference that I started understanding the impact of equity. So what'd you do about that? The Disney internship was my last year of college. And then I graduated and I had a job at a mobile banner ad company for six months. And I was a guy that I had a lot of ideas and I was at like the lowest of the low. Like I was making $36,000 a year and people that have ideas that make $36,000 a year, are like put in the back room and says, you don't get to talk. Like I am a product manager making $120,000. You can't talk to me about such things. Sure. And then I started my company in 2012. So Instagram gets bought by Facebook for a billion dollars and I leave and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go and start an, a company around influencer marketing. And I built the first app on the app store that connected an influencer to a brand. We were one of the first applications built on top of Instagram's API. So I had a lot of experience like learning how social networks were built and mm -hmm. what were the underlying technology that made these networks available and able to scale. And that's where I really started everything. That was kind of like the Amplify was the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. And, you know, I was blessed because within six weeks of launching the Amplify, I made, I'd made more money and profit on the business than I would have done the last two years of working at a regular company. And that was where I learned the impact of equity versus hourly. Okay. What sparked your fascination with those things? Like, why did you have that direction? So I had this thesis that I came up with right when I graduated college. So I graduated in 2010. And there was this like platform thesis that I had come up with. And it was kind of this like multi-year strategy of saying, okay, like generationally, what are the most impactful technologies that will drive our world? So if you look at the early 2000s, the platform model was what scaled businesses. So the first set of platforms that everyone really took hold of was Google and Apple. So Apple took hold of the, the platform around the device and they kind of own that. They're the gorilla in the room. And then when you look at the internet, when we look at actually in-browser experiences, Google won that race. So that's where we saw these two people, these two behemoths take over that entire market. Then you fast forward to the next generation of like, what were the platforms that ruled the world? Then it was Facebook, it was Instagram, and it was Twitter. It's the thing that we're probably sending this video on. That was the next generation of really the behemoths that own the internet. And then I had a thesis that naturally the next transition would be people. It would be creators as platforms. 
It would be influencers. It would be people that are creating content. That would be the next general, that would be the next transition of like, what is going to be the next series of platforms? The Mr. Beasts of the world. You, Eric, all the people that are like now building these massive communities inside of these ecosystems mm -hmm. is the next transition place. So very early in my career, I, I knew that. I believed that. So I was like, let me find a business that supports these individuals with an eventual end state. I have a 20-year plan and with an eventual end state of building the technologies that have allowed them to scale and open their businesses around the world. That was the end state of like looking at the thesis for the next 30 years and, and building out a plan around that. And this occurred in 2010? This, the beginning of it started in 2010 around mobile. Like I wrote a, like a whole thesis on mobile and then Creators was a part of that. It's just so wild. Like I can't even get my brain there because I live in 2022. We're in yeah. 2022. And like now me, the consumer, whatever, like we get it. Like influencer marketing is a very real thing. Like influencers are a very real thing. Creators are a very real thing. Creators they're, they're, are a very they're, real they're thing. The most, they're the most impactful levels of change in the world. Uh, and like undoubtedly. How exciting is that? Because you really do have some people creating. Of course. And, and so and, and they're they're the biggest mechanisms of change. So if you believe that they are the next generation of what will be platforms. How do you build series of tools to support them in that endeavor? That's just the part that blows my mind. And I'm just not going to be able to wrap my brain around it because the foresight is what I mean. So like I'm here now. And so I'm like, oh yeah, that's, obvious. yeah, this is real. Yeah, like, yeah, creators really deep. But like, if I take it back 12 years ago, I just don't know that I would have like had that been able to wrap my brain around your vision at that time. But like, you were not wrong. You know, which is so exciting. Uh, and and by, by the way, like this isn't stuff that I invented. This is just really observing and right. watching and just looking at history. It, yeah. was, it was very clear to me that we would have these cycles that individuals are the most impactful levels of change in the world. It was very obvious to me that this would happen. So why not build my entire career around supporting these individuals? Because at some point I could just call them and say, hey, we're ready to run it back. And yeah. let's go do something a little bit bigger together. Okay. I love it. You sell it. 2016, you build it. It's super successful. Yeah. And so, so build the business in 2012, sell it in 2016, stay on the board through 2018, take two years off, have the situation with my brain. And now two years later, I've, I started Zion in 2020. Okay. Yeah. So I want to spend some time just because I want to get to some other things. We could seriously spend so much time there, but we're just simply not going to in this uh -huh. time constraint. So yeah. with that, you sell and then now you have to pivot into like, okay, like I built this thing. I sold it. I'm still involved, but not no longer yeah, running the I, operation. I, I was the CEO until 2018. I was the CEO and on the board until 18. So okay. I, I was still an operator very deeply. And when did you start to go down the road of triathlons? Like when did you start to really go all in on being an athlete? So when I sell the business, I'm like 200 something pounds. After I sell the business, I gain another 40 pounds. So at the, my peak weight, I was 240 pounds running my first company. Okay. So I'm a big boy. I'm like 30% body fat, like not feeling great. And as a kind of an overachiever, I was like, okay, well, I want to lose weight. I want to like start doing some athletic things because I'm bored. Like, what can I do? I was like, I'm going to do an Ironman. Like, let's go figure out how to do that. And within 500 days, I lost 70 pounds and did a full distance Ironman. That was like my plan. And that's what I did. And it was really fun. Like a really fun time. Wait, within what length of time? Within 500 days. Okay, year, that's a, a good bit, amount of little, preparation. A little, okay. little bit over a year. Still. Yeah. It was great. It was like a super awesome experience. Oh my gosh. So I ended yeah. up doing like my first full distance race. I did a bunch of halves, but full distance race was August of 2019. Okay. But I'd done a bunch of halves before then. Like I, it was like really drastic weight loss. Like I, I lost a lot of weight pretty fast. Yeah. What was your weight when you were racing at that time? 168. Ooh, small. Yeah, yeah it was like 30 pounds less than I am. I was saying you're tall too. Yeah, so. it's like I was super skinny, but that's the thing. If you want to ride a bike, it's all about power to weight ratio. Mm -hmm. And then running, you just want to glide. You just want to. Sure. And the lighter you are, the better you are. Like I was never in the gym. Like you don't want to be in the gym putting up kettlebells and like, you don't want to be big. Like it's mm -hmm. not interesting in that, in that world at all. Yeah. So you're in what feels like peak physical condition, which I mean, like to run those races, you have to be in incredible shape and doing so many things correctly with your nutrition and your recovery and all of that. So like Everything credit to all of that. You're Everything was perfect. It. Like I was not a professional athlete, but I was training as if I, I was one. Like Anyone I had, at that level in my yeah, opinion is. You know, I had a bunch of coaches, massages, PT, food, recovery. Like the training was excessive. It wasn't like 
people that have full-time jobs, I didn't understand because Saturdays were swim between four and 5,000 yards and then go run 18 miles. And then the next day, bike eight hours, uh, like oh, 100 plus miles the next day, or you're doing climb. Like that's the weekend. Like, you don't, you don't go out on Fridays. Yeah. Like you're just training. Like you're being better training, 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 training. And I was a savage. I was like in such like physical shape. And my peak was in September of 2019. I did the Malibu triathlon. I came fourth overall in my age group, which I think like to me, that was a very high bar to hit. And like the guy that won Absolutely. was like a savage, like fourth overall. And, and that's a pretty competitive race. It's a challenging race because the bike is pretty hard. The bike, the run is pretty hard. It's an open water ocean swim and Malibu, like Zuma is not like the easiest wave. So like swimming in an ocean is not easy. And like, yeah. I was really proud of myself. And then like, kind of like life hit, hits you in the face of like, no, we got to humble you a little bit. And then I had a seizure. I was sitting in a dentist chair. It was November 21st of 2019. And I had a seizure sitting in a chair and I got rushed to the ICU. They put me in a CAT scan and they tell me that I have a cavernoma in my right temporal lobe, which is this like benign series of blood vessels that exploded and started bleeding all over my brain. And that caused the seizure. And I had to get brain surgery six weeks later to remove it. So it was like peak physical shape, training like a professional athlete. And then out of nowhere, Doctors like, you can't do this. You can't get in a pool again because if you have a seizure, you'll pass out and go to the bottom of the pool. And we can't, you know, you got to be on Kepra and then we got to like, you can't be training. You can't run for six months. Like all of it just kind of collapsed on me basically. So you go from peak physical performance to seizure six weeks later, brain surgery. Yeah. Yeah. November 9th, 2020, I had a craniotomy to remove a piece of my I can't even put myself there because I've never been there. I have experienced minor injury in sport. And anytime that you're used to doing something at a relatively high level or just doing something consistently, moving your body is such medicine. And then all of a sudden you're not allowed to do the thing that's like helping you get through life. Like this is a your coping mechanism at the time and it's a pretty healthy one. So like, cool. And then that gets yanked from you. And now you have to figure out how to deal with life. And then, like you said earlier, like you're close to death, closer than you've ever been. And the mortality becomes very real. Like that would be a lot to deal with. Absolutely. And so what do you feel? Because you did come back, you know, you did have the surgery and you did say, like, I'm not just going to settle into whatever. Like you're now on these new ventures. Like you train here. I mean, you are like you're operating at a high level. You're doing the work of all of these different things, optimizing your life. Like, where did you head from there? Like what <laughs> happened, you know, internally of like, oh, wow. Okay. I only get one run at this thing. Yeah. And I think that I just realized that I could do a lot more. I think that it was, you know, spiritually, it could be like a wake up call. Like, don't be lazy. Like, I think maybe I was being a little bit lazy and lazy for people is different, right? Like for achiever like me, yeah. lazy is doing Ironman and running a family office and investing in companies like that was lazy for me so i think it's it's relative for everybody and yeah. it was just kind of life waking me up and be like look you are young you're 31 yes you've made more money than you'd ever need to and and you're good pretty much forever sure. but you have a lot more to do in this life so this is a wake-up call for you to wake up realize your mortality and go change the world that's the parameters that i believe happened in that situation and if you look at the data, it's like to have my brain surgery and eight months later, I started Zion. I had moved to Austin six months later. I had come to build this new life. And it was just like this wake up call that I was like, oh, I got to do this. Like, and I'm one of the only people in the world that can go and build this kind of a company in this, in this environment in this way. So, yeah. So I like to just really make this as relatable as possible, because although you are a high performer, high achiever, and you really have done some incredible things, like you're still just a human. I'm regular. I'm made of the same things you are and every single person listening to this one. Like we're made of the same things, like blood, skin, right. mind. Right. I'm made of the same thing. Right. So then. Matter wise. How do we break this down to some like tangible, actionable for the consumer, for someone listening that finds you inspiring, like. What are some things that you have done to get your framework and your mind to a place where you use that as fuel to be inspired to live a whole life? And I'm not saying use it as fuel to go build another business to make a bunch of money, but to actually impact the world in a meaningful way that you want to. Like, 
what are some tangibles that you can share with them that you've done there? I've learned to make disappointment a fuel to my experience. I've learned to make things that would typically bring people down, like no, as a motivation to continue. Like my motivation is not driven by someone else's decision to say no. It has nothing to do with it. It has no bearing on it. Most people are not ready for the amount of no that is required to push forward. And so what's unique about my situation is that I believe growth is predicated on a lot of like cycles of iteration. So if you look at like a technical product, and when you're building tech, you need to have many like cycle iterations of what you're trying to produce because the first version is never going to be good. Mm. And you have to cycle, you have to cycle, you cycle. And the faster you can iterate on something, the faster the iteration process is, the better you are in the long-term outcome. What I've been able to do in my life is I started that cycle iteration process very, very early. Yeah. So now I'm 34 and I've had hundreds of cycle iteration processes and I can remember every single piece of that and apply it to where I am today. Yeah. And all of those failures have created and mistakes have created that process to where I am today. So the question is, if you look at your own life, how early and often are you building failures in your cycle iteration process to learn from? Most people are living very comfortable lives. That's why we're the laziest generation. That's why we're the fattest generation. That's why we want to be like cushy and all like nice because we are not applying the pressures of a cycle iteration process into our own spirit and into our own lives. So the earlier on that you can decide that I just want to put a lot of pressure on the machine and figure out things and not be comfortable and not be safe because safety is a complete illusion. You can wake up in the morning and say, your brain is bleeding and you don't know what we're going to do with you. Mm -hmm. You don't know when you're going to go. That's going to be the faster that you can excel. So applying your life almost as a technical product and saying, look, I need many rapid iteration failures to move fast, to move fast, to move fast and grow from. That's my strategy. I just thank you for that. That's so good. I've definitely like couldn't agree more that the more that I seek discomfort in my own life, the better it gets. Like life gets better the more I'm willing to get uncomfortable. So please keep going. Thank you for sharing that. And I know because that can be discomfort, physical, mental, spiritual, you know, putting yourself in situations where you have to like observe and reflect and things like that and like get uncomfortable. And the body, remember, the body is protecting you from not doing that. Right. Because we've lived in a society previously to this one where, you know, we were cheating death every day with tigers and lions and figuring out how to be outside. Right now we live a very comfortable life. We're in in a heated room. Yeah. We have lights all around us. We have amazing technology recording us. We have microphones. We have all this cool technology around us. My coffee right here has collagen and protein and everything I could ever want. All the amazing, supporting all this stuff. So we have all this comfort around us. Yes. And then in addition to that, we're still lazy. Yeah. This is the problem, right? Like we have a thing called gyms, which is somewhere where we go to lift heavy things, to put stress upon our bodies. That's how cush our life is. We've invented places to to create discomfort because life used to be discomfort. Like there was never gyms back in the day. There weren't gyms of places where you went. We are so comfortable in everything in our lives that we have gyms to go make ourselves uncomfortable. So true. So the question becomes, what are the things that you're doing in your life to create discomfort because life does require a little bit of stress. That's the only way you grow. You're of course, like the people probably listening to this, like, you know, you have to lift the weight. It's got to tear this muscle and then you grow more, right? Like that's how it works. You have to like push the machine to grow and expand. So you got to be a little bit uncomfortable, I guess, to like build the growth. So that's just been it for me. It's just these like cycle iterations. If we talk about entrepreneurship specifically, I'm not convinced that everyone should be one. The other thing I will say is like these cycle iteration processes are good for a certain type of person. I am fundamentally relentless in my pursuit of doing what I want to do in the world and how I want to show up in the world. And I think a lot of people just aren't prepared for that and prepared for that in the specific way that my my life is. Mm -hmm. And I live a very unique life. And so there's also that parameter that I have to take into consideration when I say these things. Right. Is that this is not a one, like one size, one size fits all strategy. Like, but what I will say is that if you want to live what I define as an extraordinary life, it requires you to think outside the bounds of the system that you're a part of. Yeah. 
Okay. I think those are good. So I want to hear a couple of additional things. And I know we're already kind of, we're in. So I want to hear about what is Zion, this current project that you're working on that I gave your, which was so helpful. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around what it is that you're up to. I think it's fascinating. And it's, and so tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now. What is this purpose driven thing that's going to be impactful? So I think I took, told you a little bit about my history of like, what have I been building for creators? And ultimately the end state, what I believe is that a creator needs to have a relationship with their fans in a peer-to-peer way, in the sense of like, when they share something, it goes to the people that care about it the most. And there isn't just a technical implementation, but there's also a monetary relationship that's between these two people that doesn't have a trusted third party. Like, potentially the removal of a trusted third party in all of those aspects. So what Zion is, it's actually two things. Number one, it's a protocol. And what a protocol is, it's, it's a series of technologies that allow us to build the end state that is an application, right? So if you think of like this device, this mm-hmm. device was built on the protocol that is Apple. They built an application that happens to be this iPad. But like what you see is the iPad, but you don't see the underneath mechanisms that made this iPad. Zion is firstly a protocol that helps creators and fans of the like develop an identity that is decentralized in the sense of like the identity layer of the individual is not based upon a specific company. And if you look at the traditional internet, Um, There's over 2 billion accounts that are held on Gmail and Google. And often most people use that Gmail account to log into everything they do in their life, their Facebook, their Instagram, everything they use is on the centralized registrar, which is owned by Google. And if Google turns that off, you lose everything downstream. So most people don't even own their own identity online. The next thing is how do messages flow? Like this is probably being distributed on Instagram. You don't own your Instagram. Instagram owns your Instagram. Mm -hmm. And when you send a message, Instagram decides who sees it. You don't decide who sees it. And your fans don't decide that they can see it. They don't have optionality. And if they get to see a message from you or not, Instagram decides that. And the final piece is the monetary instrument. And even if we look at, you know, a lot of coaches and creators that have these direct support platforms that maybe, hey, join my coaching program. Often the payments that are for that coaching program go through like five or six different companies. They go Mm -hmm. through the website. They go through the processor of that website. They go through the credit card. They go through the credit card company's processor website. And then they go through the bank. And then finally, you'd be able to use it. And so there's actually technologies now that allow us to figure out identity, messaging, and data storage and payments in a peer-to-peer way that, that don't need a trusted third party. And that's what Zion is building, is a series of tools and protocols to make creator businesses a lot more efficient. And then we're building an actual opinionated client, an application. So you can do that. That's the Zion app. That's the app that's on the app store that helps creators build communities that they can have a direct relationship with their fans. And I think the vision of what we're trying to do is Zion is envisioning that this is the last platform a creator ever has to build. And so like, if you let that land for a second, what that means is that you can take your fans with you forever, wherever you go to the next app or to the next app, you can take your fans and followers with you. And you never have to recreate of like, Oh, I got to create a TikTok. Oh, I got to start over on TikTok. I have to start over on Twitter. I have to start over on Instagram. Like, no, like Zion is the last platform you ever build. And that's the kind of things that we're trying to create into the world. This sounds so cool. <laughs> and it's so it's forward crazy. thinking. It's so funny because I like to think I'm like a fast thinker, you know? And as you're telling me this, I'm doing my very best to understand and I struggle. So I would imagine that the general consumer maybe also hears what you're saying and is like, that sounds really cool. So like, I can only imagine what you experience telling people about this thing yeah. and them really just struggling to be like, sounds dope, huh? Uh, yeah. Like that, is that like the always response that you get? Sounds well, dope, huh? <laughs> no, it, it's what it is for me is that this is the practice of the product iteration cycle of describing what I'm trying to build into the world, right? So I'm receiving feedback from you instantly from your eyes, from what you're saying, from your questions. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, I got to get better at saying that part. But I'm like working on this myself because I'm iterating. This is yeah. a product iteration. Like these conversations, that's why I say yes, is like these product iteration conversations, it's like I get better in describing this because I want to make sure the end state of how I talk about this makes sense to millions lands. of people. It yep. lands and it, it makes sense. But the basic thing, like if I come basic, is we're building a social network. We're building a social network that the creators themselves own. So like we're building a version of Instagram 
but you own everything. And it still is. You're just, I mean, you're taking all of these middlemen out of the situation. Completely out of it. Which is just so interesting because, of course, I live in the world where there's many middlemen and that's all I know. Of course. So then, like, trying to be like, oh, wait, so then there wouldn't be? There is a time. There's a time for that. It is interesting. I just did an episode a couple of weeks ago with Brett Contreras and he was, and he challenged me in in a funny way of simply saying like, so yeah, you have them. How do you have them? You know, talking about your consumer, your community within whatever platforms you exist in, you have them. So I'm excited to see that. What does that look like as far as forward facing? Like, are you there yet to where you have some sort of projected launch date in mind? I know you just posted a couple of days ago that you were like doing some like testing for many, many hours. (laughs) It's it's every day. Every day is many, many hours. Yeah, yeah. you're like, every day? Uh, Every day. Basically, right now, we are on mainnet. So officially we launch on the Bitcoin mainnet. So we use Bitcoin as the payment mechanism between two individuals. We launched on the main channel of Bitcoin, like the live, live the Bitcoin blockchain last night. And so we're probably a couple weeks away from me putting this out as like a full bore application. We're launching our white paper in about three weeks. So like we're a few weeks away, but what's important, I've been working on this for two years. So this Justin, is really, this is exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, yeah, it's, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's very cool. So we're, you did we're that getting, just last night. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, it was cool. It's been cool to see. And, you know, I've been like routing payments from all these different wallets to see the payments move quickly. And it's been a fun little little journey. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's, it's very exciting. I'm, I'm very hopeful for what we're about to bring out. To and at the end of the day, you just want to be able to connect people more seamlessly yeah. and give them more autonomy. Yeah. And I love that. And communicate. Like the thing is most product developers, and I, I would say I'm, I'm like a product designer at heart. Most people build things that you can interact with the product better. So for example, like the designer of the iPad, the in mind was how does a human interact with the device? Optimally. Optimally. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to build the design in mind and the primitives of the protocol, as well as the application layer, is that this app is a window into you actually working with someone else It's better. just a channel. It's a channel for you to like, to communicate with somebody else. So like, how do you like remove the friction in that product iteration cycle to bring that to life? Yeah. That's a big part of what I'm trying to bring. I love it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, so I have to ask as well, because you do, you've referenced this extraordinary life that you live today. I love to give the consumer a bit of a window into your life. And so what does that extraordinary life day-to-day look like? What is, you know, a day in the life of Justin at this point look like? It's um, this life that you're so happy to live. <laughs> well, it's, it's extraordinary in the sense that basically this is like when I eat, I always pray at the end of what I eat. And the thing that I always say is I'm grateful for the fact I get to get up every single day and do exactly what I want to do. And so if that lands for anyone, it's like it's extraordinary because there isn't anything that I do that is an inkling of no in my body. Mm. It's always a full fuck yes. Because if it's not a full fuck yes, it's a full fuck no. I believe I live an extraordinary life because I can basically do anything that I want. I can go anywhere that I want. I can go at any time that I want. And I'm working on exactly what I want. There's no one in my circle that isn't a fuck yes. Like if they're in my phone and I'm texting them, it's a full fuck yes. And I say no a lot. And no, period, is a complete sentence. Absolutely. So then what do you do to stay in tune with your fuck yes and fuck no? Like, how are you staying so in tune with your own intuition, whatever you want to call it, to where you are able to decisively say those things? Because people question themselves left and right, and they do not even know themselves. People are afraid to say no. They people also are, don't even know. People, people are afraid of rejection. Yeah. People are afraid. There's like so many things that people are afraid of. And I'm not afraid of anything. Like, what's the worst? Like, like my worst outcome is I don't wake up in the morning. And yeah. I know that because yeah. I've been there. Like, what's the worst outcome? Like, oh, someone's like not going to like, fuck that. They're not supposed to be. So, but what do you do to stay in tune with that? I mean, you really are just that in tune with that. I mean, are there any daily practices that you're doing that help you keep in line with that? Is it literally just that moment? (laughs) Just wake up. so powerful that you're good. Yeah. I don't have these extraordinary practices that are like a friend of mine recently, like I started re-meditating on the idea of like, well, what happens if this thing doesn't work out? Like if a Zion is a failure, like. You know, things like nothing changes in my life, even if this thing doesn't work out. To not attach your identity yeah, like, to the success yeah. or failure of yeah. this thing. Yeah, because at the end of the day, whatever I'm doing, I put out an idea to the world, something to the ether that like something like this should exist. And maybe I'm not the actual one to bring that to life. And you have no control over whether <laughs> they, no, they no receive it well it. or not. Exactly. 
Love it. Okay. Any other daily practices you do move your body intentionally? I work out every day. You know, there's an inner bitch in me that always says like, don't work out, like just chill. Like I shut that thing up every single day. Like I go and lift heavy things. Yeah. I get in the gym. I have like minimum amount of movement, no matter what. Like even yesterday, I was like extremely sore. I still came in and I just went to the sauna for an hour and a half. And I was like, fucking sweat it out. I was like, I'm not going to like not do anything. Like every day I will do something, some yeah. level of movement. Yeah. So that is a non-negotiable. Yes. And That's at some enough. level based on how you, everything else going on in life that day. Non-negotiable. The other non-negotiable is I wake up when I wake up. I don't have an alarm. Like today I woke up at nine o'clock and I like, I had my first meeting at nine. So I rolled up. Okay. What do we have to do today? Like I have a non-negotiable of I wake up when I wake up, like alarms don't wake me up like okay. because I work till two or three in the morning. Yeah, so like last night late. was like a 2am kind of work day. So like I sleep when I sleep. So those are non-negotiables. I have days of the week that I have to consume content. So like I am consuming hours of information and data and reading and podcasts and YouTube videos to understand the parameters of what's happening in the world, because that informs my decisions of where I want to go in life. I love that. That reminds me of something that was said recently, just as far as being involved in the ecosystem that you plan to be of service to yeah. and actually getting in, you know, and if you're only working on something for it and you're never actually in it, mm. then how do you know what they want or need? Or how do you actually get anything back from it? Because if you're trying to give so much to it, you deserve to get something out of it as well. Totally makes sense. Love that. Okay. So I want to know what is something that you feel that you are doing well that you would like to do better? What do I am doing well that I would like to do better? I think be way more meditative in the sense of like really taking a few minutes a day to just like focus, a little bit of breath, a little bit of not just doing, but just like stillness. I want to do better at doing that. And it's like a very big intention of mine to just like, you know, I just got to like for five minutes, just like breathe and like sit there. And I just have to do that more. Do you let something bubble to where you recognize you need to do that? And then you choose the five minutes? No, I'm, I'm trying. No, no, advance? because if I have to do it every day, multiple, like not multiple times a day, because like the pressure is always building, 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 yep. building. like there's no, like this thing is nonstop. Yep. Like, like if things are going well, something's about to break like hundred fucking percent. Yep. Like this is not, I didn't open a juice bar, like not that juice bars are easy, but like, they're not what I'm trying to do. So sure. it's like, there's that element. So I have to constantly release pressure. Like even okay. before this podcast, I had like 10 things that came up. I was like, fuck. And I was like, I'm, I was in the car just like breathing before I came inside. I was like, I gotta, all right, let's go. Like, yeah. let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I certainly, I pray before I do these and I just yeah. simply like pause for a moment. And that's a meditative thing for me where I'm simply saying, I don't need all the answers. I don't need how to know how to do this thing. I just need to be a channel. Yeah. you know, be receptive to new information. And anyway, so like, that's something for me that I feel like it has become a practice that didn't used to be a practice that does bring me peace is taking the pressure off of myself and just taking a moment to pray and just say, you just need to be a channel, just Absolutely. be a channel. And, uh, okay. So what are three things that you are grateful for today? Mm, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my friends, people like you in my life. I'm grateful for the fact that I get to get up every single day and do exactly what I want to do. In the world. <laughs> like, You're like that one. Is <laughs> the, yeah. Yes. Cause I do say it obviously yep. like it's not, it's obvious. Yep. As a practice, gratitude is a very impactful thing. It really like it is, it compounds upon itself when you're willing to take the practice to say something you're grateful for. Like you become more grateful. Yeah. Whoa, it's been so cool. So for me, I like to say mine. So my three gratitudes today are going to be that I am grateful that I'm surrounded by so many people here in Austin, Texas that are truly committed to their own growth. And so that's not always comfortable. That's not always just so beautiful. But like the fact that people are just committed to their own growth and I get to be around so many people like that. And as a result, that's going to rub off on me. So I'm grateful for that. This is kind of in line with that is I am grateful for the fact that I work at a place that is the collective where this is a social performance club where people come in. I get to meet people like you interact with people who are doing meaningful work mm -hmm. and they're in here working hard and I get to come in here and set it up and do a podcast. Like I'm just so grateful for all of the opportunity that exists within this ecosystem. And I'm so grateful that I got to be a part of it and that the owner of the place wanted me to be involved. Like, and that just was a product of continuing to show up and do the work for a long period of time. And then something like this comes up or it's like, oh, you actually have become the person that actually does belong in that room. So mm. grateful for that. And then the last one is I'm grateful for 
my ability today to be vulnerable and to not feel shame around certain things. And what I mean specifically is that these past couple of weeks, I've been working on my relationship with money, which I feel has always been pretty positive. And I have always been this person who thinks if you're hungry, you'll eat, right? I got my first job when I was 14. I moved out when I was 17. Like I've always taken care of myself. I've also opened multiple businesses and seen relatively decent monetary success within the bubble of what I considered to be that early. So I am now in this position where this year I launched into a new adventure and I didn't know exactly what it was, but I chose to leave my business before and go do a new thing. And then what I thought it was going to be dropped, the floor dropped out from underneath me and that's okay. I'm grateful it did. And I am grateful for the opportunity. Nonetheless, I've had to really experience patience because this has not monetized at the pace that I thought that it would. And so I've had to like accept that. And then also I'm working on my narrative with myself of not only do you deserve to make money, like I can go get a server job, but like I deserve to make money in the spaces that I working hard in. Mm. And so that's something like, I'm so appreciative of the fact that I can like have a phone call and truly say like, Hey, I looked at my credit card statement. I looked at my bank and I don't love what I see here. And I need to do something about it. The ability to communicate that with another human without shame is very powerful. Mm. And so I'm very grateful that I can say that. And then people can say things back to me. Like, are you raising your hand? Are you asking? So anyway, those are, I know that that was a long winded one, but I, I needed that to be out there. Mm. And so thanks for sitting through that. With me. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So tell me where can the consumers find you, support you? Oh, so you can find me on any social media site, Justin Resvani, R-E-Z-V-A-N-I. I'm verified on every channel. So like I'm a real person. I will never you DM. Got the blue check. Yeah, I have blue checks on every <laughs> well, because there was a time like there's people that like DM people of like scams. So like just follow oh, my verified sure. channels. Yes. There will be no unverified channels. And then Zion, um, you go to Zion.fyi, get more info about the application, the protocol, or guide, and you can download the app and create an account. I love it. I am gonna go to Zion.fyi because I haven't done that yet and I'm curious. <laughs> So all of that will be in the show notes, guys. So if you are not sure, just go down to the show notes. You'll see all the links to all his stuff. I also want to just take a moment to say thank you to you for your time. It is incredibly valuable. And the fact that you've chosen to spend it in this way with me and my people is really cool. So thank you. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. If you are still listening, I have to ask you to follow the show wherever you're consuming it, rate and review it. And then most importantly, if you feel like you got value out of this and you feel like someone that you know will also get value out of this, I would appreciate it so much if you would take the time to share it. Other than that, we just hope that you have a beautiful day.